Welcome to Dead Folks Tales, a New Orleans-centric podcast exploring Southern Gothic stories, history, and hauntings with your host, paranormal and fantasy author, Nola Nash. Find out more at nolanash.com. Now, let's talk about dead people. Good evening and welcome to this solo show of Dead Folks Tales. I am so excited to share with you this story of this house that is actually local to where I live now. So Dead Folks Tales is taking a bit of a field trip, shall we say, away from South Louisiana and the Southern Gothic Tales there and exploring some Southern Gothic Tales in other parts of the Deep South or perhaps not so deep south in this case. We are leaving New Orleans, heading north to Middle Tennessee today. We're talking about Franklin, Tennessee, a beautiful, historic, small town about 30 minutes south of Nashville. And I've lived in this area for about 20 years now, and I love it. It is a beautiful, small town, and there's so much history Something you won't hear a whole lot about, though, are the hauntings that go with it. Uh, we're going to change that a little bit for you today as we talk about the Lotes House. Now, if you are a Franklin local, um, you probably, like me, have mispronounced the name of this place for, oh, say 20 years, just like I have. Um, L-O-T-Z. It's lots. It has been lots to me forever, um, but I, I stand corrected. It is the Lotz House. It was founded by German immigrants, and it was built in 1854. This is the stunning Lotz House built by Johann Lotz. And Johann came from Germany, immigrated to the United States. He was a master woodworker. And Johann built this house himself there at the time you would have expected there to have been, you know, enslaved labor. He did not have, he built this entirely on his own. He did not own any slaves at that time. It was rare um, being German, not really um, part of his culture at that time either. He built this house as basically a three-dimensional catalog of what he was capable of doing as a master woodworker. So. It showcases all the things that that he can do with just building styles. The, the mantles are all different uh, around the fireplaces on the inside. Even the windows, the, the, the ornament ornamentation on the windows on the first and second floors are different because if you didn't like A window, you could select B window. Um, all of these things were designed for people to see what he as a builder and a craftsman could do. So it was his hands that built this house. And he and his wife um, lived in that house, began living in that house in 1854 when it was complete. And they had, um, before too long, six children. And they, 1854, we know, of course, is you know, heading up into the Civil War, a little bit before the Civil War. Um, they were kind of watching that pre-war um, politics going on. Um, there was a lot of, of things that were very unsure about futures at that time. But the Lotz family were German immigrants. They were not invested in this battle. It was sort of a, you know, you guys fight it out. We're going to just try to make a living here. Um, so 
they kind of went on doing their their daily lives. He helped to build the Williamson County Courthouse that was um, in Public Square. It still stands there now. It is no longer the courthouse, but the building is still there that, that Lotz helped to build. Um, but he and his wife, Margareta, had six children. Uh, I mentioned the six children because the first tragedy that hit the Lotz house was actually in 1863. They had twin children, Julian and Julia. They were two and a half years old when they fell very ill and they died at the home. It is said, legend says, that they died by drinking contaminated water that was contaminated by the federal soldiers, the Union soldiers. Um, historically, that doesn't really make any sense because none of the rest of the family was ill. Um, and also it didn't make a whole lot of sense for occupying soldiers to contaminate the water supply that they would also be using. Um, so we're not exactly sure what killed the twins, but something did and they died in that home and you can still see their room where it is today in the home. I did have the opportunity to tour this home Saturday of um, this past week. So did a ghost tour, the paranormal tour of the Lotes house. It is fascinating. If you get a chance to go, um, it is just a beautiful home and the history is, is fascinating stuff. But we'll get to why the Travel Channel calls it the second most terrifying place in America before long. And Julia and Julian um, apparently still like their bedroom. And so they hang out there a little bit um, to this day and messing with some of the, the folks that are in the house, um, causing a little bit of trouble. You've got little kids in there, they're toddlers. And so sometimes toddlers, even once they are dead, continue to do some toddler things. And so we'll talk about what they did a little bit more. Now, when you have a history that is as tragic as, as this house has, you almost don't need the hauntings to make this just such a, a powerful place to be. But the hauntings are, of course, a direct result of the history of this house. 1864 was a pivotal year for Franklin, Tennessee, and of course, the Lotes family. November 29th, 1864, their daughter, Matilda, celebrated her sixth birthday. So they had friends, they had you know presents, everybody's opening presents. They had the Carter family that lived next door, literally about 120 paces away. Um, the Carter family actually sold Mr. Lotes the land that he built his house on right across the street. So they were very close to that family as well. So family, friends, all celebrating little Matilda's sixth birthday. And they had a lovely day, went to bed, woke up on November 30th, 1864, to find federal soldiers building breastworks 80 yards from their front door. The Union Army had come to town. War was on their doorstep. And the Confederate troops were coming from the South. They were trying to meet the Union troops to stop the Union troops from reaching their stronghold at Fort Nash in Nashville, Tennessee. So the Lotes house on November 30th and the Carter house and Carnton plantation, which were all kind of along this three miles of breastworks that the Union Army had built, found themselves literally as ground zero in the five bloodiest hours of the American Civil War. There were, by the end of the fighting, and we're talking 17 hours of constant 
fighting. The Lotz family fled. Um, one of the, the union officers said, if you know, you can flee if you want, we can't guarantee the contents of your home. Um, they knew what they were about to do, what was about to happen. Um, but they, you know, the Lotzes had no, they didn't, they didn't had no loyalty to either side. They were German. This was not their, their, their war. They just simply wanted to keep their family safe. And so what they did, the, the husband and wife, Mr. Johann Lotz and his wife, Margareta, took their children across the street to the Carter house. It was made of brick. So it, it stood a better chance of surviving any cannon fire. Um, the Lotz house took heavy damage. So that was actually a very, very smart move on their part. Um, literally going through Union troops to get to the Carter house. And they hid out in the basement along with the Carter family. When they emerged 17 hours later, after those bloody, bloody, bloody hours. It's called the five bloodiest hours just because of the, when the fighting um, intensified. It was those five bloody hours. But they stayed there for 17 because, you know, you don't want to come up before you're sure it's over, right? After 17 hours, they emerged. And they find the aftermath of the Battle of Franklin. There were 10,000 casualties of the Battle of Franklin. And we're talking about casualties on both sides. At this point um, in the war, there were, it was hard to tell who was who anymore. After the Battle of Franklin, it was hard to tell who was who anymore. Um, lots of soldiers were dressed in sort of a uh, conglomeration of gray or blue. Mostly, you know, pulled a lot of, they had to pull a lot of their resources off of fallen foes. So they may have on a Confederate jacket and Union pants or vice versa. And it's very difficult to tell kind of what side they're on at this point. But casualties, this is dead, wounded, you know, all of that. 10,000 is a lot of people. And there's not a lot of space to put them here. At one point, Mr. Lotz said that the bodies were stacked six feet high in some places, that corpses stood like scarecrows, unable to fall for the dead at their feet. There were 17 dead horses in his front yard. None of the trees stood that were around that beautiful home. They'd all been cut down to build the, the battlements. The entire south wall of his home was completely destroyed. Ken Fire had torn the roof to bits. And it was winter. So Mr. Lotz now saw his home, basically a graveyard, all around his home, Carnton Plantation, the Carter House, all of them quickly became field hospitals. And again, it was difficult to tell who was who. So they were just, doctors were just treating soldiers as fast as they could, as many as they could. Many died of their injuries before they could be treated. They were running out of chloroform. They had not nearly enough bandages for these people. Um, they had to set up operating tables all over these houses in various rooms, and they tried to do it up against windows. So for two reasons. One, the smell was so horrible. Also, the doctors trying to use chloroform didn't want to knock themselves out with the fumes and any limbs that they had to amputate. They basically had to they, they put them in baskets when they could. When there were no more baskets to put the limbs in, they were simply just tossing them out the windows because they had to get them away. Um, it was just horrific. 
inside the house, there are still remnants to this day of the soldiers who were treated there. And not necessarily, you know, there are artifacts, but there are still blood stains on the floors from where surgeries were happening. There are blood stains where you can see where it was just pooling around the soldiers as they sat up against the walls, just waiting, waiting to be treated, uh, many of them dying there before they could. Now, after, after the war, as they were, after the battle, as they were rebuilding the house, Mr. Lotz goes to work trying to rebuild the house. He does have a family. He has small children that he needs to shelter. There are no supplies, really, to do this. And so he starts to scavenge. One of the, the south wall that was completely blown out had was a wall of windows at one point. Glass was a commodity he could not find. And so he completely walled up that side and eliminated all of the windows on that side of the house. So when you go tour that house and you see this side with no windows, um, that is the side that was obliterated by actually Confederate cannon fire. Um, you will also see patches in the woodwork. Now, remember, this is a master woodworker who took a lot of pride in the work that he was doing because his home was the catalog of his skill, his work. But he was frantically trying to just patch things up at this point. So you can see where the floors were patched from these beautiful floors, these floorboards where you couldn't even see a hammer mark in them to just pounded pine planks where he has just tried to mend floors, just, you know, especially between the first and second floor, trying to actually stabilize things. Um, the nails were another tricky thing that he could not find. Nails were actually salvaged from the horses that were killed in his front yard. And so Mr. Lotz, having to be resourceful, took the nails out of the horseshoes and use those to help rebuild shelter for his family. Now, what was this family doing in the middle of winter while their home is being used as a field hospital? And it was, it was you know, days turned into weeks, turned into months that they were trying to treat these soldiers. It wasn't just the battle ended 17 hours later, everybody pick up your dead and leave. That is not how this happened, folks. These people, the dead, the dying, the wounded, just all of them were there for a long time long time. Um, it was said that years later, um, people still like just in, in the homes, in the buildings, they could still smell the smells of all of that. It just took forever for that to just go away. It was horrible. So the Lotzes are basically living under construction and in a field hospital. Mr. Lotz and his wife moved the children um, downstairs into the cellar and they, they went down there as well. But most of the time, Mr. Lotz was working on the house. I mean, just at all hours, as many, you know, whenever he could find supplies, that's what he was doing. Um, rebuilding the home, this beautiful, beautiful curved staircase that he just honed with his own hands. You know, all of these things that he was trying to repair simply to put shelter over his family's head, but also the to shelter those that were being treated in the hospital, which his home, which is now a hospital. So they were living in the basement and the basement is actually an, is an important, um, and we're going to talk about that here for just a second after I show you a couple of pictures of the inside. So this is the keeping room and the keeping room is significant for um, a couple of reasons. This is one of the first um, rooms that you'll walk into when you tour the house. Um, 
you can see that the fireplace on that far wall, um, that brick fireplace was actually one of the few things that was standing in that wall after the battle. Um, this is one of the walls that would have originally had windows in it. This is the south wall of the home that was taken out and Mr. Lotes simply had to build around it, not being able to put the um, to put any of the, the windows back in. Um, it's not in this photograph. It has been moved apparently for, for the photograph. But when I toured the house, when you first walk in there, on um, the right-hand side by that window sitting there, kind of in between the window um, on the other side there, is a table. And it is a beautifully carved dark wood table. And it was actually the handiwork of Mr. Lotes himself. The red room is a room that is directly above the keeping room. And you can see the continuation of the chimney, that brick right there would have been the continuation of the chimney going up. Um, at one point, there would have been probably um, probably another mantelpiece there that would have been something that people could choose. Um, this room and the keeping room downstairs um, are where a lot of the paranormal investigations will take place. The red room, it has been said, is sort of a portal. Anytime that, you know, if, you, if you're interested in the paranormal and you've seen the shows where they talk about these things, anytime that there is a massive upheaval in energy, you know, massive amounts of death, a tragedy of some scale, what typically happens is that's a massive shift in energy and portals can be created in, in that that will either let people come and go through the realms or hold people and kind of hold them prisoner. You know, it's like a, a gatekeeping you know, a one-way gatekeeping, like, nope, sorry, you can't come through. Um, and it kind of, they that energy will hover around that portal. The Red Room is said to be one of these, um, these portal rooms. And it's interesting when the staff tells stories and the staff, you know, all started as skeptics and are now firm believers that this house is as haunted as they say. They've all had their own experiences. And in this room, it is said that a Confederate soldier or we're assuming Confederate soldier, just by the way that the dress is described, um, that he he's still here in this particular room. However, the staff also has photographs. Um, the glass cabinet over there with the, the books in there, um, there is a photograph that the staff had taken that actually has three entities in it. You can see parts of different ones of them in, um, in that bookcase. And some pretty interesting photos there. On the far right-hand corner of this, kind of just barely out of the screen, is actually a mirror. You can see the pottery kind of on the shelves there. But there's a mirror that is right there. And there's also a photograph um, in gray. And again, it's hard to tell because it's gray. So we don't know if it's Confederate or Union, if it's just, you know, ghosts tend to manifest as gray, right, in mirrors. So it's a shoulder, kind of the, like the side of the head, the shoulder and down an arm of a soldier's uniform. And it's very clearly that uniform jacket um, that has been photographed in that mirror. So there is quite some activity here. in Back in the keeping room, on the wall that you cannot see, which is actually kind of where the picture is taken. So if, it's, if you're standing where the photographer is and you're looking a little to your left, then along that wall, that north wall, is where some of the bloodstains can still be found, where these soldiers were sitting kind of lined up um, across that wall, kind of waiting for the doctor, who would have then been operating um, in front of that window right there and been having to use that window for ventilation. 
I mentioned the cellar and the cellar is important. The cellar became an archeological dig site. And it, when they opened it, when they began this dig site, it was said by the archeologist that it is as if the doors had closed in the 1860s and had never been opened again. They, nobody had gone down there, stored anything. It was just, they opened it up and it was as, as though time had stood still. Um, of course, there are you know, more layers of dirt and things that they are digging, but they're not having to dig very deep. So there's not a lot that has been um, done to this basement since then. Um, and they are finding some really fascinating things. Now, there are a lot of mini balls that they have found. Mini balls are um, these white bullets. Those are the bullets that were being fired um, from the rifles of the Confederate soldiers. They have found a backpack, a um, Civil War backpack that was down there, a field pack. Um, a drum, a military drum was recovered on the property as well. You can see horseshoes down there, bottles. Um, there have been, you know, there were a little porcelain pieces of porcelain dolls that probably were Matilda's that she had down there. Um, interesting things that basically show that collision of family life and the civil war in one place down in the bottom of this house. Uh, so many interesting things that have been found down there. And just to show you what I'm talking about with some of the blood stains and various things, the photo over here on the left, that circle is actually where one of the two cannonballs that came through the house landed. Um, it went through the roof, dropped through the, from the roof all the way down through the floor between the first and second floors, and then hit right here on the second, on the, the bottom, bottom floor. And this is actually in what is the gift shop now. And you can see this, it's right there in front of you. Um, that cannonball hole actually is where a lot of uh, paranormal activity gets centered. It's an interesting, interesting place. I guess the ghosts kind of like it, but they, what they'll actually find the staff will leave in the evening. And when they come back, occasionally the ghosts have moved things around and they, they do seem to enjoy the mini balls, the bullets. Um, it seemed to be easy for them to move around, fun for them to move around. They do things with them. There's a little bowl of mini balls that are sitting on the um, the counter when you go into the gift shop. You can actually buy the mini balls as souvenirs. Um, but the ghosts like to play with them, and they will dump that entire bowl of mini balls and have them just nestled right there in that cannonball divot in the floor. The picture on the right hand side, you can see the staining in the wood floor and that is blood staining from the soldiers that were awaiting treatment. So you can see where you know they were seated there with their legs coming forward in whatever condition their legs were in, whatever condition they were in, um, they were bleeding out. And a lot of these blood stains can be found on lots of the homes in Franklin because after the Battle of Franklin, 41 buildings were needed to be basically commandeered as field hospitals. There were that many casualties. So the Lotes House was not alone in that. Carter House, Carton Plantation, some of the larger ones, but there were many homes um, in the city itself along Main Street and the, the cities around there that were used. 41 field hospitals were necessary after the, the five bloodiest hours of the American Civil War. So lots of interesting things here. Now, the mini balls, we talked about the mini balls, and there's some interesting stories about things that happen with mini balls. They are only in the gift shop, and they are only in some of the um, display cases. There's a big kind of 
bowl of the mini balls, but it's entirely encased in plexiglass. So the things that the spirits tend to move around, and they do move a lot of things around. In fact, the staff says good morning to them when they come in. They tell them good night when they leave because they will tell you the minute you ignore them is the minute they will start to tell you that they're there. So to kind of keep things a little calmer around the house, the spirits just want to be acknowledged. They want their story to be told. And if you forget about them, they'll remind you. And so maybe it's the little kids. Maybe, you know, who knows who it is that's playing with the mini balls because some of those things tend to just be a little mischievous. Some of the toys that are around the house, especially in the, the twins' room, those will be moved around not only in the room itself, but sometimes they will be found in other rooms of the house. Things from the red room will show up in the dining room, things like that. Um, the mini balls will find their way into various places from the cannonball divot. They have been found, there's a photograph of them with some of them kind of, there's a step, a little bit of a step up to a part of the house and some of them were down in kind of a pile on one part of the step and then going just up the step, there was spelled out the word no, there was a heart and there was, get this, a Goo Goo Cluster, which is candy. And so they had taken a Goo Goo Cluster along with the mini balls from the gift shop and stuck it over there as they were spelling things out. So they like to, to cause a little mischief there. Um, Again, mini balls only in the gift shop, right? Or under glass. Well, there's another photograph that the staff will tell you and that they came in and there was a footstool that used to be back behind um, a little sofa in the twins' room. And they came in to find that that footstool had been moved out to more of the kind of the middle corner of the room and mini balls scattered all around it. <laughs> Just kind of hodgepodge. Looked like they were trying to make some word, but it's hard to tell what it is. Um, with the mini balls, the little Civil War bullets. They just like those things. They have seen shadow figures and guests that have been there will, will say the same things. They will feel cold spots, really icy, icy cold spots in certain places um, where the, you know, if the air conditioning is off, I mean, or in the dead of winter when they're staying in the center of the room, which should be warm from the heating system. Um, we were there on October 30th, it, the AC system was not running. And when you feel these cold spots, um, my mom and I both felt a cold spot when we were standing in the dining room. And it's only on one side of your body. Like you're not standing in front of a vent and your whole body is closed, but it's like well, this whole side will just start to get kind of chilly and lots of like tingly things. It feels like little, little electricity racing across your skin. So you know you're not alone in that house, especially if you're sensitive to those things. You will definitely find some company. Um, another one of the residences was Miss Eula. Miss Eula died upstairs in what is known as the parents' room. She died of consumption. We know it today is tuberculosis when she was 44. And Miss Eula loved the home. And she she was really connected to that home. And it is said that Miss Eula is still in the home. Um, so there's some mischievous spirits, the children running through the house. Um, they will hear footsteps upstairs when no one else is around. Um, that lots of noises, smells, interesting smells will show up um, that will linger for a while. Um, smell of fresh baked bread, which is an odd thing um, in a museum. You're not going to have you know fresh baked bread coming out of the oven. There's no bakery around there for that to have, have happened. Um, so that's an interesting smell that lingers for a while. 
um, various things like that. Um, they will see shadow figures walking through. There's a woman in a dress, like a Victorian dress that um, people have seen. And there is a darker shadow figure that is said to have walked from one side of the dining room to the other side. And of course, I happen to be standing in the corner where I felt that cold spot where he kind of walked through the walls. So I was like, oh, that's my corner. You know, glad he's here. Um, lots of interesting things can be felt around the house, heard around the house. People will hear children's voices um, upstairs where there are no children. Of course, the children are not there, but we're assuming that it's Julian and Julia, the twins that, that died in that room. Um, other things that people have, have mentioned, let's see, I want to get them all right because there's some really, really cool things. I mean, you can hear voices they have heard you know, on recordings where they didn't hear it themselves, but when you play the recording back on those EVPs, if you know anything about paranormal investigations, those are things that they use to capture the voices that are not necessarily where we can hear them with our human ears. Um, things that just get moved around is, is kind of a big thing there. And lots of weird noises and smells. And the first thing that the staff will do, like any good paranormal team will do, they try to debunk it. Like, okay, well, that must be so-and-so, like pipe smoke. One of the tour guides smokes a pipe while well, he does that way away from the home in his car, in his truck, in the back parking lot. So if you're smelling it only in the red room, that's not him. <laughs> that's not his cigar smoke. That's not his pipe smoke. Uh, things like that. They will try to debunk and try to find out where those things are coming from. And largely unexplainable. They have some security cameras that have, cam have captured some things. Uh, they have captured in the middle of the night. Uh, they have framed um, artifacts and there's security footage of there's, there's some that are standing up on a mantle and then some that are kind of laying it down in front of it like this. And one of them tips and jumps off. Now, you would think that something tipping and jumping off, maybe it was vibrations from the road outside. There is a road outside. And so their thing was, okay. Let's see if we can recreate this. And so kind of moving the, the other display table around, they're jumping on the floor, jumping on the floor, doing everything they can to try to vibrate this. Nothing moves. And the more that they looked at the footage, they realized that if it had been vibrations, it would have scooted from the bottom and it would have taken the one that was in front of it that was laying flat along with it. But this tipped from the top. It was as if someone caught the, the very tip top of the frame and pulled it forward until it fell off. Uh, that has been caught on the security camera. They did have a paranormal investigation team that was investigating up in the twins room. And you can see in the camera, the figure of the paranormal investigator that was sitting on the floor trying to communicate with the kids. And next to her is a very, very black silhouette, like dense. You can actually see through it really. Um, very dense silhouette, but there was no one else in the room with her. So that silhouette there is definitely um, not human, didn't belong there. So going back to those shadow figures that are there. And if you think about the number of people who died on that property, you can imagine the number of, of spirits who may still be chained to that location, don't realize what has happened to them, are you know on a loop, just an imprint, an energy imprint loop, um, going through the motions of whatever it was that they last did there, um, or are tied to the home because they loved it. The children, that's where their parents were. That's where their family was. That's where they died. That's where their stuff is. Like, you know, their, their toys and things. Um, Matilda, 
moved away. So she is actually not part of the house. She became a world-renowned painter, actually. When they moved to San Jose, California, um, not long after the war, Mr. Lotz couldn't make a whole lot of money. Not not a lot of resources, not, not resources for rebuilding. So, I mean, that's, he thought, well, maybe I can rebuild, but without resources, he had no work. And he got in a little trouble with KKK uh, because he did not pick sides and he had carved something that he didn't see as symbolic, but the Klan did. Um, he carved a piano that had an eagle on it and in one talon was the American flag and the other was the Confederate flag. For him, it was commemorating um, just a tragic clashing of, of people and, and honoring both sides. The Klan didn't see it that way. And so the Klan um, basically wanted him to choose a side. He said no, and they were going to lynch him. They were going to tar and feather and lynch him. And so in the night, he packed up the family, and off they went. They left. They moved to San Jose to escape that. Um, the Somebody else moved into the house, burned the piano in the backyard, and managed to um, evade the Klan and, and their particular brand of justice. So lots of tension that happened around the Lotz house could also have been chaining some people to their property. We assume most of it, of the activity is either from the soldiers that were part of the battle or the children who were there in the house or Miss Eula who loved the home so much and probably continued to reside there in the home she left long after her death. So Lots of interesting stories around the Lotz house, but certainly a very active place. And the staff there, if you get the opportunity to tour the home, the history there is fantastic. But you also want to go and hear some of the interesting experiences that the once skeptical and jaded staff are now accepting as part of their that it's part of their their job description is to deal with that, to make sure that they are greeting those guests as they, uh, their spiritual guests, as they come and go every day. Even at the local fire department, uh, spent quite a bit of time uh, responding to calls in the middle of the night. The fire alarm would go off. Nobody was there. And they would have to go check out the house anyway. And even the fire department says it's pretty creepy being in the Lotz house at night. Definitely not feeling like you're there alone. They know there wasn't a person that set that alarm off, but they certainly didn't feel like they were there alone. Very interesting stuff. If you happen to um, have Amazon Prime or some way to check in with the Travel Channel, the Tennessee Wraith Chasers did an episode of Haunted Live not long ago um, at the Lotz house. So you'll get, you know, a Hollywoodized version a little bit, but we do love the Wraith Chasers. They're a great group of guys. And uh, it's an interesting evening with them. So you can certainly go back and take a look at that episode. It's also on Travel Channel's Facebook, uh, their after show, where they talk a little bit more about some of the things that they discovered at the Lotz house. So very interesting history, very fascinating family and just how that house came to be. And after it changed hands a few times, it became a lawyer's office, a florist. It actually was a haunted house <laughs> for a while. It was used as a haunted house, go figure, right? And then eventually it was doomed to become a local Mexican restaurant. It was going to be a taco shop. And at the very last minute, 11th hour, um, the person who, who was the former director, as a new director, has taken over. But it was rescued from the 
the grips of Mexican restaurants. And hey, I love me a good Mexican restaurant, but I'm really glad the Lotes House is not a taco shop. Um, and it was restored. So brought back to, to the home that Mr. Johan Lotes built and loved so very, very much. Um, even with its tragic history, it was um, it's a fascinating story and a beautiful home. And I hope you have the chance to go and check it out. If you're ever in the Franklin area, there are some fabulous tours and the Lotes House should definitely be on your list. So I hope that you have enjoyed the story of the Lotes family, some of the bloodiest hours of the American Civil War, tragic, tragic, tragic day. And oh, one last little tidbit for you. November 30th, 1864 is the anniversary of the Battle of Franklin. And every year there are reenactors who are on both sides and they reenact the, the troops meeting basically at Carter House and the Lotes House. And it happens during the day. There's the drums and the marching. And there was a group that was just sort of in the evening hanging out at the Lotes House, among them tour guides and the like, that were there. And they heard drums again. And they thought, oh, we thought it was over like hours ago. Let's go see. What are they doing now? They walk out. Not a soul in the street. No one to be found. There were no drums outside. They walk back inside the house and the drumming starts again. That cadence of the field drum from the soldiers marching did it two or three times. And they finally just, well, it's not the reenactors, I guess. We'll just let the spirits have their day. And so that happened on the anniversary of the Battle of Franklin. So who knows? Maybe November 30th this year. There'll be some more interesting things going on as that anniversary approaches. So we'll, we'll have to see at the end of the month. And I hope you've enjoyed this solo episode of Dead Folks Tales and our little field trip to Franklin, Tennessee. We will be back next week. We are going to be talking about second lines in the Crescent City. So until then, thank you for joining me as we talk about dead people. Dead Folks Tales is a copywritten podcast of authors on the air, Global Radio Network. Special thanks to producer Roman Surratton and executive producer Pam Stack. Join us next week for another episode of Dead Folks Tales.